Hello, welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast series, the world's largest weekly podcast dedicated to the topic of leadership. I'm your host, Scott Miller. Each week I serve as your interviewer, and I'm also privileged to be the author of the recent Amazon bestseller, Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Your Greatest Minds. The book is written on 30 of our first guests that I found to have the most transformative insights where I share a different story about 30 different people. In fact, I've just finished the second volume, Master Mentors Volume 2, featuring 30 new guests with 30 new transformative insights on my way to 10 volumes in the series. And who knows, maybe today's guest might agree to appear in one of the forthcoming volumes. Our guest today is, in fact, Kendra Hall. She's the author of the new book, Choose Your Story, Change your life. She's the former chief storyteller for Success Magazine, a Wall Street Journal best-selling author and coach herself. Kendra Hall, welcome to On Leadership. So happy to be here, Scott. Thanks for having me. I have finally met a guest who can match my energy. Your positivity <laughs> is contagious from our time off air prior to this podcast. So I look forward so much to talking today with you, Kendra. You are in New York City and we're taping this in late winter. And no doubt there are storms that are coming, so we'll try to make this podcast a great use of your time because, in fact, there is a storm that I know is headed your way. Kendra, mm -hmm. we met because we have uh, many of the same circles. Our, our publicists, our publishers, our agents all walk in the same circles. And your topic is of uh, 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 special insight to many of our listeners. Although our, mm -hmm. our podcast is global and we speak to people across all different professions, all of us share something in common. And that mm -hmm. is we're interested in the power of influence, of actually mm -hmm. getting people to you know, glom onto our ideas. And we know that the power of storytelling is yes. something, whether you are a parent, whether you're a sibling, whether you are a leader, perhaps you are a, a speaker, you're a presenter, you're a facilitator. Maybe you train our content in your organization. The power of story is undeniable. Before we get into your book and some of the science and art behind storytelling, Kendra, would you take a few minutes and reorient our listeners and viewers to your story and journey and how you came now to write this book? Yeah, I would love to. We, I, storytelling has always been the center focus of my passion. And I think more importantly, my curiosity. I told my first story when I was 11. It was an assignment for fifth grade. I had to tell a story to a room full of third graders. And I noticed in the first few sentences, well, I was supposed to read the book. I put the book down and told the story instead that I just, I held them in the palm of my hand. And at the time I'd been trying to, you know, assert some power. I was 11 years old. And I thought maybe I was on to something. When I was in high school, I entered a national storytelling competition. I'm glad you weren't also entered in that competition, Scott, because I don't know. I think you would have been a fierce competitor, but I did end up winning the competition and the grand prize. It wasn't a car or money, which that's, I was 18. I was hoping I would get one or the other. It was that you got to tell a story at the National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Which what a is rip. This, what a rip off. I know. I was so mad. But it ended up being this transformational moment in my life because there I was in this tiny town under these huge circus tents where all these people were crammed in watching these storytellers. And they were, the storytellers were there without agenda. They weren't there for marketing or sales. They were just there to tell stories. And again, I got to witness not only the captivating power of a story, but these tellers and choosing 
to see very small moments in their lives and shaping them into stories that gave life so much meaning it was mesmerizing for me. So I went on to continue to research and study storytelling. I was in sales and marketing and discovered that they still didn't know how to tell stories. So eventually I quit that job and made it my mission to teach and study and share the power of stories with as many people as who would listen. Kendra, uh, we share a lot in common and I'm delighted that you're here because you like me understands the gravity of story. In, I think sometimes it can be dismissed, right? Oh, story shmori, and that's like for the Renaissance fair or for someone down the letterhead. But we know the most effective CEOs are those that are telling a truthful story to their mm -hmm. investors, yes. right? Yes. That are, yes. that are selling, telling stories to VC funds and to, to banks and to the Small Business Administration, right? What is your story for your product and how does your customer fit in it? We'll talk in a moment about the science behind storytelling, but long, 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 way, way, way before you were born, but about when I was born, there was yeah, a- Yeah, I was gonna say. IQ, I know, I know. An yeah. IQ test, uh, <laughs> an IQ test that was performed by a Harvard psychologist in the San Francisco School District. You opened your book with this story. I found it yeah. riveting. Walk us through that story and what do you think our listeners and viewers should take away from that? So they were studying, they wanted to study the, you know, the IQs of these students, but the reality was there wasn't even, there wasn't even a test. Uh, instead, they delivered the results to the teachers that there were these students that were exceptional and these students that were average. Well, what happens over time, of course, is these teachers think that the students who are above average are indeed above average and start treating them as such. The students start believing that about themselves. And this story essentially shapes their, their education and how they move forward. They it's also the Pygmalion effect, right? We can shape ourselves. And, and knowing that, um, I think we have to be very careful as, as leaders in, in whatever area of your life you are a leader, whether that's in the office, whether that's in your community, whether that's in your home, recognizing the power of these stories and how you really can shape the beliefs of the people who you are leading based on the stories that you are telling back to them, the stories that they then adopt and believe about themselves. I want to take a breath there because I think that is profound. When I read this statistic and this research study, it brought me back to an experience that I had in about third or fourth grade. I went to public mm -hmm. elementary school in Orlando, Florida, where I'm from. And I remember once they were, there was some like a choral, choir tour going on and they came and gave a performance and they were looking for more people to join this fairly prestigious choral group. It was all okay. boys and I remember they came to our school for some reason and they did tryouts. And so, you know, they left, all the boys got down to the auditorium and we stood up and we sang like a tune. And I sang a tune and I could not sing and to this day cannot sing and carry a tune or read music or anything like that. And I got picked and they called me back. Then we went back to our rooms and about a half an hour later, I got picked to come back for like a next tryout and I can remember as being this like 45 pound skinny boy walking from my classroom back down to the auditorium. Yeah. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, 
I'm going to be a star. I'm going to sing. I can sing. And I went back down to the auditorium. And of course, within a matter of two more tunes, they realized I couldn't sing for whatever reason they picked me. And I remember the walk of shame back to my classroom. The point of that is this was 45 years ago. I had not thought about this since I read your book. The power of the stories that other people tell us Mm -hmm. about ourselves are of massive consequence. Whether Mm -hmm. you are a parent or you are a leader or you are a spouse or a, a neighbor, I think your opening point is not to underestimate not just the stories that we tell others right. or the stories that we tell ourselves, which we'll get into, but the power, the dangerous power that other people's stories told to us about us have. Riff on yeah. that for a moment. Well, I think, you know, I, I, I witness this now as, as a parent. So let's put this in a, in a parenting perspective. And now knowing, based on the research that I've done, and even the fact that, right, you right there could go back to, what grade was that? Second, third, third second or fourth grade? grade? Third or fourth grade. I bet you can remember exactly what the auditorium looked yeah, like yeah. where you sang. Yeah. Like this is, so keep in mind, that right there is a really important point that you may say you don't have a great memory or whatever, whatever it is. However, our brains have all of this content. It remembers, it remembers all of these things and we just don't even realize it. It's so buried deep in our subconscious. Now, I see this as now that we know this. And again, if you are a leader for me as a parent, I know that there are things that happen moments in my children's lives that they will forget or um, there are moments that are negative, think bad things that happen, that they will re- be more likely to remember, have closer to the surface of their memory than the positive things that have happened. So one of the things that I do is anytime there is a story of a, or a moment that happens where my child exhibits courage or determination, or one of the unique qualities, I have a son and a daughter, they're both very different, that are unique and special to them. I pause, we don't just let that go. At night before I put him to bed, I say, hey, can we talk about what happened here today? And I retell them the story of the decision they made, of the kindness they showed to a friend, or whatever it was, so that as years go on, as time goes on. We talk a lot about kids being so resilient or any of us being so resilient for that matter, but kids in particular saying to a child, oh, you're so resilient, isn't going to serve them when they're 30 years old and trying to solve a big problem at work. Saying to them, hey, you remember that time when this and this and this problem occurred in fifth grade? It was a huge problem for a fifth grader. You figured that out. They can carry that story with them and tell it to themselves in those moments when they need that belief. Now, again, that is applicable for a child, that's applicable for an adult, even very small stories, positive stories, can can shape how we see ourselves and then of course shape how we behave. Kendra, your current book is titled Choose Your Story, Change Your Life. Your tagline is silence your inner critic and rewrite your life from the inside out. I want to share my second and final story, and I want you to expand on it. So same public school, sixth grade. Mm-hmm. I remember the principal's name. His name was Mr. Wiley. And one day, with I think some level of arbit- arbitrary nature, he came in, 
and he decided that he was going to organize everybody in the sixth grade into three different segments. They were called the advanced group, the middle group, now you're sitting down, the slow group. And I don't, I, I don't know what the criteria was, but Scott Jeffrey Miller in sixth grade was put into the slow group, Ooh, which meant for the rest middle. of the academic year, middle. for the rest of the academic year, I went, I was, I was, there was three tiers. You were either in the advanced track, the middle track, or the slow track. This is what it was named back in mm -hmm. 1979 or whatever year, long before you were born again. Slow science, slow math, slow reading. Can you calculate the damage that had on my self-esteem, my self-confidence, my self-worth, how that impacted my SAT score, how I thought about myself academically and professionally? And I remember the classroom I was in and my teacher's name and what her race was, what she looked like and how many times the kids stole the wig off her hair. Mrs. Shriver, poor woman. Oh, poor woman. <laughs> but this was 45 years ago and the story that was told about me was you're slow. Mm -hmm. When did you realize that that story didn't stop uh, however many years ago, that it followed you around? When I was 48. 48. Yeah. Did you realize, so was there a moment when you were 48 that you said, wait, I yes. think I've been considering, can, I wanna hear that story. I know you said that this yeah. other one was the yeah. last one, but I wanna hear that story. Yeah, I've told it before, I uh, was interviewing some people for this podcast and two guests in two days both talked about the power of knowing your story. And I thought, knowing your story, that kind of sounds like Reiki or sound bowl or yoga. Good for somebody else, but not for me. I go home mm -hmm. to my wife, Stephanie. We have three young boys. She's a stay-at-home stay full-time mom and business manager for our family. And I, I lean over in bed and I say, Stephanie, have you ever told yourself your story? She says, what are you talking about? And I said, you know, like your whole life journey. I look over and she's sleeping. I get out of bed at 10 o'clock at night in my Ralph Lauren flannel plaid boxer shorts. I walk to the kitchen, I pull out a wire whisk, I go into my living room and for an hour in the dark at 10.30 at night wearing only my plaid flannel Ralph Lauren boxer shorts, I walked around at the age of 48 and I told myself my own story for the mm. first time in my life, out loud. All the lies that have been told about me, all the things that I'd done that I was ashamed of, all the truths, that I'd made up about me that really actually weren't true or I wanted to be true in the future. And it was that night at age 48 after a very successful career and a life of always thinking I was slower, I decided to build the story I wanted my rest of life, my, my life to be. Mm. And, and the importance there, right, because we do, we overlook the importance of, of the stories that are within us. And, and there's a reason for that. We, we automate them as humans. We have the, the stories that have happened to us are an automated process that we retell back to ourselves but don't really think about. And it's, it's not until you pause that automation that you realize what is, what is actually there. And once you realize that what's actually there, like you being a slow person, I'm sure a slow person, you realize, wait, I've made so many decisions 
based on this. I've missed opportunities because I believe in this and it can be such a mind blowing moment. And, and, and in some cases, depending if it's a small mind blow, maybe you can, you can recalibrate really quickly. Sometimes it takes some time to figure out, okay, well, if that story was happened, it happened, right? Like that happened. Um, and maybe there were reasons that you were, I mean, they, that you were put in the ill-named group, right? Like maybe slow meant, Hey, you just, you just get more time. What a beautiful thing. I know some, one of my children needs just a little bit more time, right? And what a beautiful thing that you got more time, but that wasn't how it was positioned for you. So you carried it with you. And then it takes some effort to go back and find the other stories in your experience that prove to you or illustrate that you are indeed very quick and capable and, 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 and then use those to rebuild your own personal self-story, your own personal narrative that now you operate forward from. I'd like our listeners and viewers just to take a deep breath and reflect on the title of Kendra's work. Choose your story, change your life. Kendra, you have a chapter in the book that you title, um, Author a Story, Author a New Story That Serves You. Talk about the power of Offer, authoring a new story that serves you. The key there is serving. And, and I think going back to the title too, it's, it's really important to note that it isn't change your story, change your life. Right. You can't change the stories that have happened to you, right? Like you can't change what happened uh, in the choral concert. You can't change what happened when the principal separated you into three different groups. However, we can choose to tell ourselves stories that serve us that serve the the ambitions that we have the the dreams that we want the places that we are personally trying to go and and in some cases stories that used to serve you may not serve you anymore and that that's been i think that's something that has been um we're seeing a lot of right now especially in in these times with so much being thrown up in the air and people were seeing the great resignation and, and all of this, all of the burnout. And I think what we aren't realizing is our stories have completely like the, for example, the way that you measured professional success, right? We measure it in a variety of different ways. We have different stories of what equate to success for some people success at work. And this is neither, this is no judgment for some people. They're really honest with themselves. Success is how many accolades they get after a particular presentation in a meeting, after offering their comments, right? When you all walk out of the boardroom and someone says, you know what, that was really great. Nice work in there. I loved that, right? But we're not in boardrooms anymore. We haven't been for a long time or there's a variety of different. So if you're someone who measures your success by those stories and now suddenly you don't have those interactions anymore, we're, we're scrambling. So that is where A, knowing what your stories are is so important, and then B, seeking out, fine, okay, I've realized that I need different stories of what success means to me now. 
And I need to actively either look in my past or witness it right here in my present that, oh, this is a story of me being successful. And maybe it is, maybe it's getting your, your workout in where you used to be commuting and coming back, having breakfast and being able to sit down at your desk at the same time you used to, but you've gotten so much other work done since you aren't commuting to get to the office. So the act of choosing stories that serve who you want to be is is I think perhaps the most important piece of this work. Kendra, thank you for that. You're not a psychiatrist or a mental health therapist. You are, however, an expert on the art and science of storytelling, the stories we tell others, whether they're customers or clients or colleagues, and the stories we tell ourselves. Let's talk a little bit more about the stories we tell ourselves, and we'll go to the stories we tell others. Yeah. Um, Speak to the people who are listening right now. And perhaps they resonated with my story about the coral rejection or perhaps, you know, being put into the slow class, which I'm sure there were reasons why. I'm sure parents were complaining that their all-star students weren't being challenged enough. I'm sure there were reasons. There's always a reason why stuff is done. There's, there's rarely a thoughtful reflection on the consequence of what happens to the kids in the slow track. Exactly. Because everybody in the fast track is going to go on to where they need to go. But what happens with the Scott Jeffrey Millers and the slow track? For people right now that are resonating, they're thinking about, what stories have I told myself? What stories have others told me that maybe need to change? What are some of the techniques or tips people can employ to challenge their stories and then choose a new story? Yeah, the, the, the whole process, and that was one thing that I wanted to make sure to offer, is a methodology for doing this and doing so intentionally. So the first step, of course, is to catch one of these self-stories that is maybe not serving you to catch it in the act, a, a limiting belief maybe that you have. So I know one that constantly comes up for me. And again, some of these negative self stories are really sticky. Um, is the story that I don't have enough time? I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. I'm not going to be able to get it all done. There's no way I have enough time. Now, that's based on a whole variety of old stories, like the fourth grade paper that I handed in late because I was getting too in the weeds on it. The fifth grade paper I handed in late because I made it all detailed. It was on Johnny Tremaine, the book. And I put, instead of just like writing a book report, I had to do this whole like comic book thing, which also ties into another story that I hold about myself that I can't just do the assignments. I have to do the assignment and beyond, right? Like this is, and there are stories in my youth about, oh, good isn't good enough. It has to be otherworldly, right? Now that can serve you in some ways and it can make life really painful in other ways. So one of my stories is I don't have enough time. I catch that story in the act. Often when I'm walking into my, after I've done my workout, I've taken my shower, I've done whatever, I'm about to sit down at my desk and I'm like, I can't, there's no way. I open my calendar and I say, there's no way I can do, I can't do all this, I can't do all this. So then the next step is to analyze where does this story come from? As I just mentioned, I have a variety of stories throughout the course of my life that would lead me to believe this. Um, And perhaps the most important question to ask yourself in this analyze phase is, 
is this story serving me? And for me to constantly be walking around afraid of time and thinking I don't have enough of it makes me miserable. Just as in, from a mental health standpoint, I, it's, it's, it's miserable. Not only that, I say no to opportunities that maybe would be great for me because I don't have enough time or I, so the story isn't serving me. The next step then, as you've heard me say multiple times, but here it is laid out in the plan is to choose a better story. So I actively as an exercise have a series of stories that I go back to where I managed to create time. There was a story when I was in graduate school, I was a TA, so I was teaching uh, Com 101, which was really, really fun. Now looking back on it, like teaching 18 year olds how to communicate when I was only like 25, that was great. Um, so I was a TA, I was working at the Outback Steakhouse. I had for a persuasion class project, I was an adjunct, I created my own marketing agency for a local business and was doing research on that. And I worked the late, late night shift at a karaoke bar. Now, whether or not I can sing, Scott, I'm still not exactly sure, but I can put on a good karaoke show. So here I am. And on top of it, I have my own course load, right? And I did all of these things and did them excellently. And in fact, I will never forget sitting in my persuasion teacher, my persuasion professor's office and saying to him after he wanted to talk more about this marketing project I had done, um, cause it was all based in storytelling by the way, but that's neither here nor there. And I said, actually, I'm thinking about continuing to work with them cause I really enjoyed this work. And he said, Oh, you're a TA. We strongly encourage our TAs not to take on any additional work because there just isn't enough time. And I decided not to tell him about all of my other jobs that I had, <laughs> but that, that story right there, I don't know how I created time somehow. Now, of course, I didn't have, I didn't have kids. I didn't have, I was a, I, I was a kid myself, right? But no matter what, at the essence of that is if I can do all of that, why can't I manage a Thursday of work? And so I choose to tell myself that story and many other stories that reset my thinking on my ability to manage or even just have time. The fourth and final step is really the key here. And this is why in some cases, my struggle with time story, I continue to struggle with it. A, it's big, but B, the fourth step is to install these stories. And this is where intention comes in. This is where discipline comes in. Um, so this means once you find some of your great stories about that illustrate the opposite of this limiting belief to write them in a journal. Matthew McConaughey will. I know a lot of people groan when I say write in a journal, but McConaughey says, I mean, he wrote a whole book based on his journals. I say write it in a journal, right? Um, so record these stories, capture these stories, and then when you need them, when you know that you're, you're going to be throttled by your, or, or um, you're going to be, struggling 
with your negative story to find opportunities to retell yourself the positive one. So even right now, as I'm telling you the story of what I did in graduate school, I'm like, I've got all the time in the world. Like, look at me dominate this time. I feel completely different about it, even just talking to you about it here. So I've been told I have a very comforting personality. You do. That was the first thing I thought when I saw that by no one how comforting your personality was. But that's the, that's the framework, that's the methodology. And essentially, in the end, our goal is to make these positive stories, these stories that are true and that lead us to what we want, the automation, instead of the ones that are just replaying old stories that may or may not be valid anymore. Kendra, I want to save some time to talk about the kind of art of storytelling When I was reading your book, and I've known of you for some time, I think you wrote a book called Stories That Stick, an excellent book as well. When I I put your book book down, and I asked myself, so what stories do I tell myself about me that are are perhaps debilitating or positive? And I, I couldn't like come to mind anything like that was obvious. How does someone explore, the doctor is in the house, how does someone explore what stories they're telling themselves that might be defeating their progress, their momentum, their, their dreams? How do we uncover the stories that we need to choose differently? Yeah, I think the, the most important thing, well, let's start here. So as soon as you catch one of those, I call them the iceberg statements, one of those limiting beliefs, like I am slow, I don't have enough time, I'm not enough, I'm failing as a parent, I'm bad at money, whatever it may be. Um, whenever you identify one of those statements that just makes you feel bad or, uh, you, you, you know, that's, a, that's a limiting, that becomes a red flag. From now on, what I want you to say to yourself when you hear that is, I wonder if there are stories there. Mm. And then pause mm. and go back and look just as you did. Go back and look and say, wait, I remember that one time in second grade. I remember that time when I was in middle school. I remember and know that they may be very, very small, but they will be vivid. And this, again, is not something that we are accustomed to doing. It takes practice. So as I was walking a group of uh, participants through this process, this was one of the things that we had to work on, looking for specific moments, stories. But as soon as you start doing it and you use those limiting beliefs as a as a flare, like, hey, take a look underneath the surface of your consciousness. There's probably stories there. It does get easier. But you are looking for, for very specific moments, memories, and you'll be surprised at once you start Um, getting your fingers on them, how vividly they come back to you. I would say more importantly, though, than thinking about the negative stories and what is propping up that limiting belief is your search for the positive stories. Um, And so that you can choose Mm. those. Mm. So if you have this belief about yourself, it's holding you back. One of the first things is to simply replace those old stories with stories that illustrate the opposite. You saw that as an example for me right there. Instead, I think about that time in graduate school. I think about the time in high school when I had like five different jobs. I think about writing this book and the amount of time that I did it in. I have very specific moments that illustrate the opposite. 
Now, let's say, for example, one of the things you want to change is let, let's say you say I've always struggled with my weight. And you're like, well, I don't have a story that I can choose from because I really have always struggled with my weight and I always will. Now, fine, you can stay there. But if that's something you really want to change, then what it might require is rerouting a story from a different area of your life. If you want to change something about your physical health, what does that require? It requires commitment, and discipline. Um, when is another time in your life that you exhibited commitment and discipline? Maybe it was caring for an, an ailing elderly parent. Maybe it was an initiative that you're really passionate about in your community. You can use those stories, those events, those memories, then as stories to say, wait, I may have always struggled with my weight. However, I am, or my physical health. However, I am very good at discipline and commitment. And that's exactly what is needed right here. That alone will help you move forward in those healthy endeavors. So, so just a few, and there's more strategies, of course, that I discussed, but I think it's more important um, that you're able to identify the stories that you can use so, so that you can use them. Kendra, let's talk about the stories we tell others. Uh, we've interviewed Donald Miller twice on this program. Of course, Donald is the famous author and marketing expert, wrote Build a Story Brand and other books. And Donald, like you, is unrelentingly passionate about when we're in business and we're telling stories, whether it be to progress our mission, progress our products, to build influence, we often put ourselves at the center of these stories, when in fact we should be putting our clients and others in the center. It's a mistake we come and make. Talk a bit in our final couple of minutes here around what's the architecture of great storytelling? So we've moved yeah. off the storytelling ourselves and now to stories as marketers, as communicators. We're all in sales, own that. Mm -hmm. What are some of the tips you want to remind us about the power of storytelling? A couple of kind of key takeaways everybody can glom onto. Yep. I mean, of course, stories, outward stories in business is they're extremely important. Storytelling, of course, has become a bit of a buzzword in business. Great for me. Donald Miller means some job security, right? My dad is finally proud of me. That's all great. Um, <laughs> but there are a few things that where a few ways that stories can go wrong. And I would actually say one of the one of the concepts that I, if I'm being honest, find problematic is this idea that the story needs to have a hero and that the client needs to be the hero. Um, and I have a hard time with that phrasing because I think what it does then is it, I mean, the word hero is a weighted word. Like there, there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of history behind what makes a hero. And I think quite frankly, it puts maybe a little bit too much pressure on then what constitutes a story. If there is a, if it has to have a hero in it instead of, you know, that it might have to be bigger when again, as we're, as I learned at that storytelling festival, it's actually sometimes the really small, authentic, truthful stories that, that are 
that are only that are only truthful because it is a shared human experience of of many um that instead of focusing on the hero being the center point that really what a story needs to have. So here, here, here are the ingredients. This, if nothing else, will give you a really good starting point, like a checklist for, for what will make your story work more compelling. And this is based on, this is based on my firm's research. So four components, number one, we need to have an identifiable character. And, and I, this is, the preferred term, because now we take the pressure off of how heroic this person is. They're just, they're, they're a character. They're, they're a person we can identify where a lot of stories goes, go wrong is they're like Acme incorporated did this and that. Well, no, that's not, that's not a person that's a company, right? So we need to be thinking about actual people. So an identifiable character is a character they can identify. And more importantly, identify with. It's okay if you're telling a, a a story that isn't about the person you're telling the story to, but if the character in that story, if the person you're telling the story to can see themselves in that character, now you're getting somewhere and they don't need a cape or anything in order to do it. The other thing we need is authentic emotion. And this is where some a lot of stories in business go wrong is we think a story is a chronological ordering of information. And just the fact that it was it started here, it went here, it did this, it did this does not make it a story. That's still just an iteration of of what happened. It needs that authentic emotion. Now, again, it doesn't have to be over the top, doesn't need to be on the silver screen. Sometimes just the frustration of the inefficiency in business, you know, if you're working with HR software and you're having to triple and double check because of version controls and you're, you're spending all your time on this, these things that don't even matter. I mean, think how many, how many professionals feel this way, that authentic emotion matters more than, than anything bigger than that. Um, we also need a moment in a story. So a particular place and time that you can bring the listener to so that they are standing right there with you. So, and I wasn't meaning to do it this way, but we'll see if it works. I told you the story of talking to my professor, my per persuasion professor. And I'm pretty sure I said, I'll never forget sitting in my professor's office. Now, there's a chance that our listeners or maybe even you too, Scott, were sitting in a professor's office that you yourself have sat in before or a teacher's office. This this moment where your audience can come in and sit right there next to you. Did now, you mean the, did yeah. you mean the principal's office? Cuz I don't think I ever sat in a teacher's office. No, no, always... it was my story, no, the one about sorry. the um, No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know you didn't you didn't even get a chance to go to the principal's office. Oh, I did, that, sister. Oh, I spent some time there. <laughs> So and then the and then the fourth and final component is specific details. And these are the small details. And we don't need a ton of them, maybe just one or two that when you're telling stories strategically in that, you know, your audience and you know the point you want to make and you know what you want this story to illustrate and what you want them to carry away from 
hearing this story, you can share. And again, if we're all in sales, you can share very small details that show that you understand who they really are. If they're, if your customer, let's say, if, let's say this is a sales story. If your customer is a new mother with a stroller, um, tell a story of a, a new mother trying to like collapse a stroller and put it in her trunk at the target parking lot. Like the number, how difficult that is to cram, put it all together and cram it in. Sharing a little detail about putting a stroller in a trunk of a car. If your audience is new mothers with strollers is going to carry a lot of weight and show that you really understand who they are. Kendra, when you return, could you please bring some passion and energy next time? <laughs> I know. I'm like sweating. You can't. <laughs> I wore you, black so you couldn't see it. <laughs> you are awesome. Kendra Hall, the author of the previous book, Stories That Stick, and the new release, Choose Your Story, Change Your Life, Silence Your Inner Critic, and Rewrite Your Life from the Inside Out. Kendra, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. We enjoyed it. And, you know, be thinking about the stories that you've told yourself or perhaps someone else told you and maybe before the age of 48 or 49 like it took me perhaps you can be thinking about does that work for you do you have some stories you can draw upon even positive stories that reinforce for you what your passions and talents are and how you can deploy them thanks for joining us today we'll see you back next week for a new conversation on leadership <music>